Oh, would you join me in prayer? Lord, I pray you'd bless the reading of your word. And the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart be pleasing to you. Lord, I pray that you might meet us as we come in search of you today, and that you would awaken our hearts to the hope of the gospel. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, this evening, I want to pose a question to us. It's just a foundational question, and our answer to this question really will set the trajectory or the direction of our life. The Gospel of John, this question makes up the very first words of Jesus. There are a group of people who are following, seeking him, and he turns around, and we read this. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? What do you want? Or in some other translations, what is it that you are looking for? What are you seeking Over this Advent season, we've been noticing that our desires and our longings are what direct our lives. Our answer to this question sets the trajectory of our life. The philosopher uh, James K.A. Smith suggests to us that our heart functions somewhat like a compass, and we all are oriented to some vision of the good life. And what we are oriented to becomes our magnetic north. That's what draws us. And so if I am oriented towards wealth, that's what's going to determine what I do with my life. If I'm oriented towards pleasure, I'm going to avoid pain and, and seek fun experiences. If I am oriented towards the status and the approval of others, that's going to shape the direction of my life. Our heart is like the compass that directs our paths, sets our trajectory. But like a normal compass, sometimes our hearts can be miscalibrated. And so a real compass can be thrown off by a couple degrees if there are power lines or a car, even just an electronic device in your pocket. And in a similar way, there are influences in our world that can set our trajectory even just slightly off course. There's the advertisements and the allure of wealth and the various idols of this world that can can interfere with getting an accurate read on what we really are looking for, what we really want. And perhaps some of you have followed some of the longings of your heart only to find yourself lost or disillusioned or frustrated. And maybe some of us even can connect with that experience today. There's a man named Alexis de Tocqueville, famous uh, historical figure. I think I've mentioned uh, this great observation before, but he was from France and he came to America 200 years ago and was writing letters back home describing what he experienced in America. And in one of his letters, he wrote this, there is a strange melancholy that haunts the inhabitants of Americans of America in the midst of their abundance a strange melancholy that he notices in the midst of abundance. And, and I wonder if that maybe just names something for us. Now, I'm very much aware that this was written 200 years ago before the advent of iPhones and Amazon Prime. And if the pollsters are right, this strange melancholy, this discontent is just growing and it has been amplified over the last couple of decades. And so while things on the surface might be going okay for us under the surface, there's this strange melancholy, this longing for something deeper. We haven't quite 
found the right answer to this question, what do you want? What are you looking for? In the text that we heard read today, we see a group of men, these magi, who are looking for something more. They are on a quest for meaning. And on the surface of things, it seems that from a a worldly standard, they have a lot that you would want. They have status. And wise astrologers, from where they came from, came with a lot of credibility and, and honor. They clearly have access to power, evidenced by the way they could get an audience with the king very quickly. And they're, they're quite wealthy based on the gifts that they bring. And yet, in the midst of all of those things, they embark on a time-consuming, costly, and dangerous quest because they are on the search for something more. They still have some restless hearts looking for answers to the significance of life. And I just want to notice for a couple of moments what helps them recalibrate and discover their true north in Christ. What enables them to tap into some of these deeper longings. How God draws them to this deeper hope in Bethlehem. Now we notice at first that, that the first thing that draws them is this encounter with a star. There is something in the created order that gets their attention. And this is a powerful biblical truth that God does not just speak in religious context or in theological language, but that God is calling out to us, drawing us through the created world. We read in Psalm 19 that the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech, night after night they display knowledge. Sometimes the created order is a means by which we uncover just a glimpse of transcendence a glimpse of wonder. And I I just wonder if you can trace in your story experiences where you've been awakened to something deeper. That when we get away from our phones for a while and enjoy the beauty of this place we're spoiled in, or uh, when we encounter moments with children being born or these realities of the miracle of creation that maybe God is getting our attention There was a study done by the Pew Research Forum just a few years back called the Religious Landscape Study, and it surprised me. It reminded me of this enduring search we have as people for more, for transcendence, for something bigger. And so this was what they discovered just about Washington State, which is a pretty secular state, sometimes described as a post-Christian state. Yet in the midst of our context, our own neighborhood here, 77% of our neighbors claim to be either certain or fairly certain that they believe in God. 59% pray at least weekly. 65% notice that they feel a sense of wonder about the universe at least once or twice a month. I wonder if you just count yourselves among those numbers. Maybe you're not part of the church or engaged in institutional religion, but there's sort of this persistent wonder about this world that we live in. I wonder if that is part of the way we recalibrate our longings that call us deeper to search for something more. You know, the modernist claims that God is dead appears to be premature. 
This persistent longing for God has endured the Enlightenment and the scientific and industrial and now technological revolution. It seems that we can't quite get away from this deep longing for something more. Well, this is the starting point that, that draws these wealthy, wise, powerful men to go on a quest, to go searching. Something captures them in creation, but this only gets them so far, they end up lost in Jerusalem. And what we discover is that the spiritual quest now needs some theological refining. You see, they had some false expectations about who God would be, what God would be like, and they naturally think, well, if God is coming, he might, must be coming to a place of power. So we'll head to the capital, to the economic and the religious and the political center of the Jewish people. God must be there. But it is only as the scriptures, the sacred writings are open, that they experience a theological refinement and discover that God is different than they expected. That God is going to take up residence in the margins. He's going to move in amongst the poor. He's going to take on not a powerful state, but a vulnerable state. And so as they read the scriptures, they find new direction. And I, I just wonder again if maybe our spiritual quest needs some theological refining. Like the Magi, I think sometimes we bring our own expectations to our search for God and we, we begin to see God through our lens or through our values. And often, like the Magi, our own worldly conceptions of power come to bear on our image of God. And what breaks my heart is the way that so often the name of Jesus is dragged through dirt and through the values of this world. And, and so many things that are done in the name of Jesus are anti-Christ, anti-gospel. We, friends, too, need some theological refining. We need to heal our image of God and discover the truth and the beauty of the gospel. I, I think I've mentioned this before. I still want to get this t-shirt, but uh, this is a picture of Jesus with a quote saying, I never said that. And part of the, the, this journey of, of the Magi is to return to the word, to humble themselves before these sacred writings and allow the word to speak to them to direct them away from the center of power to the margins to discover a more beautiful picture of God. And so I pray that as we meditate on this Christmas story, God might perhaps be healing those images of God that have led us astray, that we might have a recalibration of our heart towards God as we, we move past the bad theology or the ways maybe we've unfortunately been hurt by the church or by those who have misrepresented Jesus. And so the quest continues as they open up the word of God and find directions to Bethlehem. But this too is not the end of their quest because there's another part of this awakening of their hearts to God. It is only as they actually come into the presence of God through worship that they are overjoyed and that their eyes are open. And what I think is really notable is that the biblical scholars and the priests and the religious leaders knew where the Messiah was, but they didn't go. They knew about God, but they didn't take the journey to Bethlehem themselves. 
Their hearts, too, need a recalibration because they wanted to hold on to comfort and power and control, and it felt a little bit too risky to go and pay homage to this poor child in Bethlehem. And so Soren Kierkegaard says, although the scribes could explain where the Messiah should be born, they remained quite unperturbed in Jerusalem. They did not accompany the wise men to seek him. Similarly, we may know the whole of Christianity, yet make no movement. We're reminded in this story that knowing God is more important than knowing about God. We're reminded in this story that it is only as we step out in faith, even in the midst of our questions and in our doubts, that God is revealed to us. Faith sometimes needs to precede understanding. And perhaps that's even just encouraging to those of us who are wrestling with doubt and wrestling with questions to, to know that we don't have to have it all put together before we make sense of it. It's only as we step into relationship that our eyes are, are opened and there is room in the, in the questioning. Faith isn't about certainty, it's about trust and stepping out. And it is as we sometimes engage in spiritual practice, take that risk of stepping out in worship, that our eyes are open, and this is what we see happens. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, incense, and myrrh. This, friends, moves beyond natural revelation, beyond biblical revelation, to an experiential revelation as their hearts are overjoyed. And we see that as they encounter God, they are overcome with, with joy. They respond and worship. They give generously, not out of duty, not out of guilt, but out of a deep surrender and a deep joy. It appears that these magi have found what they are looking for. As our children led us in worship last week, they had a, a beautiful line <laughs> where it said that the wise men's restlessness was put to rest. This is a reference to the famous quote by Augustine where it says, our hearts are restless until they rest in you, O God. I pray that this Christmas we might find an antidote to that persistent discontent as we discover the hope of Christ's coming. But if that is to take place in our hearts, we need to notice one more thing in this text. The sermon cannot end here. We have talked about this quest that the Magi have been on as they've journeyed from afar to Bethlehem and how God has drawn them and wooed them to Bethlehem. But there is also another quest that is taking place in the Christmas story, a more important quest. Because ultimately, the Christmas story is not about our journey to God, but about God's journey to us. And it appears that God's heart, and this is the hopeful part, is oriented towards us and towards the world that he loves. And he will not let anything interfere with his journey towards us, not even death on a cross, not even risking poverty, not even risking rejection. He is so drawn to us out of love that he takes this amazingly risky, beautiful, powerful quest into our world to be Emmanuel, God with us. 
God will not let anything interfere with his magnetic north, which is us, as he is drawn close. And as we just wrap our minds around that beautiful picture of God, I hope it might heal some of our pictures of God. We might discover a God with a radical embrace who wants to draw you into the center of this scene. There's this beautiful mosaic in the Christmas story of all these unexpected guests that now take center scene. It's not just the faithful, it's not just the religious insiders, but the shepherds who are despised are drawn. They're the first ones to hear the announcement. These magi who would have been considered pagan, sinful idolaters from the east take center stage. We see right at the outset of the coming of Christ the expansive embrace of the kingdom of God. A God who wants to draw all into the story, to draw all of them close because he has not just come for a few. He has come with good news for all people. And that, friends, includes you as well. And so this Christmas, I pray that you might just discover again God's heart for you and that he draws you close. And like the Magi, as that captures our imagination, captures our hearts, it might call us to Bethlehem to give our whole selves to God. And as we do so, I pray that you might find rest for your restless soul. In Christ, I believe we find what our heart is truly looking for, And I just extend that beautiful invitation to you as we just call upon Christ in our need, as we are, in our brokenness, in our regret. He is faithful and just to offer you grace, forgiveness, and welcome. May this Christmas you be drawn into the center of the story again. Would you join me in prayer? God, we thank you for the beauty of this Christmas story, and I pray that you might be at work even here now in this room drawing us close, Lord. We acknowledge that so often our hearts are misdirected and some of us come today just feeling that emptiness. Lord, would you fill that hole in our heart? May our hearts truly rest as we rest in you. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.